So the Rambam lived um, from 1838 to 1204. Okay, so he lived in the 12th century and the beginning of the 13th century, just, just the beginning of the 13th century. Uh, he wasn't the first to write a Sefer on philosophy um, from a Jewish perspective. Now, obviously, uh, philosophy had been around for a very long time from the non-Jews, the Greeks, Aristotle, Plato, etc. But, uh, <clears throat> but from a Jewish perspective, the first probably to write a Sefer on philosophy was Rasadjigain. Rasadjigain lived in from around 882, 942, from mid-800s to the 900s, first century. And he wrote a Sefer called Ha'amun of But obviously the Sefer of Sajigain didn't spark so much controversy. <laughs> but there were many Svarim written on philosophy. Um, the, the same generation of the Rambam was the Ravid. Now, now this is not the Ravid that's famous for writing um, for writing glosses on the Rambam. There's three, there were actually three Ravids. The Ravid that's famous for writing Ha'aris on the Rambam is called the Ravid Ashlish, the third one. He lived after the Rambam. But the same generation of the Rambam, there was a Ravid, also of Ram and David, who was called the Ravid Harishan, the first, first Ravid. And he wrote a Sefer on philosophy as well, which was called um, Ha'amunah Rama. And then there's a Sefer from the Ebenezer, there's a Sefer from Rav Shlomo uh, Ibn Gvirol. He wrote one of the Zmiras on Shabbos and many Putim. Um, there's a Sefer from the Ikrim, etc. There's many Sefarim on philosophy post the Rambam, but none of them uh, had such a place in Judaism like the like the Marinavichim did, and none of them certainly didn't spark the nature of the controversy the way the the did. Did the other ones also quote philosophers? So that was also a part of it. Definitely, the Rambam did that more heavily than than the than the other Sefarim. And that was part of the, the debate. So, um, you know, as, a, as an introduction to this, this is really a vast topic to discuss both the concept of philosophy, what it means, uh, how it progressed throughout the generations, and how long that controversy continued almost till, you know, till today, essentially. And, um, and then also the specific controversy around the Mornavuchim, which was also actually a direct attack on the Rambam, not just uh, on philosophy in general. So there's a lot of different aspects to it, and there's a lot of history to it. And it had a lot of, um, it had a lot of uh, ramifications in history, as we'll see. Now, the Rambam wrote the Mornavuchim towards the end of his life. He lived, six, he lived till he was 66, uh, and he wrote the Mornavuchim somewhere around 50, because he writes a letter when he's 55, that the Meir Nebuchim, uh, they asked some, whoever wrote the letter had asked him to translate the Meir Nebuchim. It was written in Arabic originally. He asked, they asked him to translate it into Hebrew. And he said he's too old to do it. But there's, uh, there's someone in France whose name was Rehuda ibn Tibbin, who was, uh, he was translated a lot of the, or Shmuel ibn Tibbin, he translated a lot of the Ramam's things, the Pirish Mishnah. Uh, he said he'll translate it. And this actually has an important ramification because being that it was only translated later, Basically, the Meir Nebuchim wasn't really available to the people outside of Arab countries who didn't speak uh, Arabic. Didn't really become so. It didn't become available in Europe until just after the Rambam passed away. So the Meir Nebuchim was translated into Hebrew probably just just by the end of the Rambam's life, and then it took a little while for it to disseminate. You know, there's no printing press; everything has to be written by hand. So so at, it really only disseminated after a little bit after the Rambam passed away. So the real controversy, the real fire only erupted after the death of the Rambam. There was some opposition in the lifetime of the Rambam, but that was from the Svaradim, the people who spoke Arabic. 
And that was little. It wasn't not nearly like what happened later. Later was when it got into Europe, into France mainly. That's where it became a huge, a huge deal. Um, it's important to understand the, the reverence that the Rambam was held in so that you can understand why this became such a huge machlekes. The Rambam is, I think, singular in history, the kind of reverence he was held, the way he was venerated. He, in, in the Ramban writes, Ramban has a number of letters about this uh, written. You know, he tried to stop the machlekes, he tried to calm it down. So in one of his letters he writes that in, in Yemen, right, which wasn't even where the Rambam lived, he lived in, in Egypt, in Mitzrayim, but in Yemen, when they said Kaddish, they would say, <laughs> They would add a line to Kaddish in the, our lifetimes and in the life of Moshe, the Rambam. So that's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of you know, respect he got. And they, they coined a phrase about the Rambam, From Moshe Rabbeinu until Moshe, the Rambam, like, come, come, Moshe, no one rose, like, in the, the greatness of, of, of the Rambam. So I'm saying the Rambam was held in a, a level of esteem that was un- unparalleled, I think, you know, probably from Ravina and Ravashi. No, no one was held in that kind of, that kind of esteem, and his farm were, were, uh, were unique. So uh, you could understand that when, when people came and attacked, and the, Rambam, the attack against the Rambam wasn't just a general attack against philosophy, they actually attacked the Rambam personally, in that original attack, so um, that obviously, you know, sparked a tremendous controversy and it made a huge machlekes. So that, that, that was a large part of it. So what I guess we'll try to just try to do um, over here is that uh, we'll try to talk a little bit about the history, and then talk a little bit about what the opponents against philosophy in general had a problem with, and then what the opponents with the Rambam specifically had a problem with. It's also the interesting how this this how long this went on. Uh, it started right when the Rambam passed away, which was 1204, and the original Machlekes, which was you know directed directly against the Rambam, went on for 100 years till 1306. So it went uh, basically straight for 100 years with different. It culminated in 1306 around with uh, the Rush writing a tshuva against philosophy, the Rajba writing numerous tshuva against the philosophies, the Meiri, Meiri defending the Rambam, uh, the other Rishonim of the time. So like all the Rishonim of that time were still heavily involved in this debate. That's just against the Rambam specifically. The, and that was like the controversy. Then a lot of things settled down because it became so bad for the Jews, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, in Spain. That was just, that's when things started getting really bad. But they had more important things to worry about, I, I, you know, so to speak. So that, that generally does tend to do that to Jews, you know. When think other things go wrong, they stop fighting about, stop infighting. But, um, but the general controversy about philosophy in general, whether that's okay or not, that continued hundreds of years, hundreds of years later. Uh, I'm going to tell you later, there's an argument between the Ramah and his... Uh, not exactly how they were. Maharshal was related to him, a cousin or an uncle or something. Maharshal was his relative. Uh, the Maharshal screams at him from, for learning philosophy, and he answers back. So they, they fought about it. And then much later, of Tzaddik and another other Hasidic Sharabis fight about it. So it's been fought about and continues to be fought about. You know, that's just the general uh, concept of, of philosophy. Um, <clears throat> so just the, the history itself, we'll start with that. Um, the, the, right after the Marinavuchim passed away, uh, the Ram passed away, and it starts to spread in France. 
So the, the France was divided into two camps. There was northern France and southern France. Southern France was very um, pro-Rambam because a lot of them had written letters to the Rambam. There was Chachmei Lunil, uh, which were part of southern France, had written letters to the Rambam. Ram had responded to them. There was um, the provincial Rabbanim. It's a, also an area in France called Province, which also they had a connection to the Rambam. So they were Talmidim of the Rambam. So they, they venerated the Rambam very much. Northern France were not necessarily as close. And there was a, uh, someone named Rav Shlema ben Avram Minhahar. It was from a place called Montpelier in France. Montpelier, translated loosely, means something about a mountain. So that's why in Hebrew it's called Minahar. Um, and, and apparently there's no mountains there. So it was like a pile of rocks or something. This <laughs> is Wikipedia. It's very interesting. So, you know, how these names go. Anyway, but that's why, that's why it's called Minahar. So uh, there's, there's a Sefer Rabbi Avram Minahar. We have his Chidushaman, Sachta Zivamis. So this was his son. Shlem ben Avram Minahar. What? He's in Sukkot. Ansak as well, yeah, Ram Minahar. So this is this is a son, Rishlam ben Avram Minahar, uh, who himself was very famous mainly because of this, uh, this controversy. But he was also very famous because he had a very very famous Talmud, and that's Rabbi Yaina, Rabbi Yaina, the Balachar Tshuva of Grande. He was also very very extraordinarily mired in this debate. And uh, but he is independently famous. But the, he was Talmud uh, chief, chief. His chief rabbi was this Rav Shlomo ben Avram ben Ahar. He lived. He he lived uh, after the Rambam passed away. So he he, he was born around the twelve thirties or so, and he lived till thirteen ten. So he was in the thirteenth century mainly. <clears throat> and uh, he had two Talmidim who supported him very strongly in this Machlaikis. One was Rabbi Yaina, who later did tshuva and his whole long issue with that. And then he had another Talmud who was not as well known, who was called David ben Shmuel. And these two Talmidim, they were effectively the one that traveled around France getting uh, signatures from Rabbanim to oppose and to fight against. And, and it, it was, in, at the time at least, people attributed the, the like the, the the stoking of the fire to Rabbi Yaina more than to Rabbi Avram, Rabbi Shlomo ben Avram in Ahar, even though he was following his directions and he was going around with a letter from Rabbi Shlomo ben Avram in Ahar, getting a signature on that letter, but they 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 directed their anger. Uh, those who who supported the Rambam directed their anger largely at Rabbi Yaina, at least according to one of his Talmidim. Was now, when Rabbi Yaina was was still young and didn't have his own stature yet, he did. He did. He wasn't that young. Rabbi Yaina himself was actually um, he wasn't that he, wa- he wasn't that much uh, younger than this Rabbi Nishlam ben, uh, ben Avram and he also he was nifter before him he was nifter before him he was nifter suddenly apparently from a rare disease so it's not like he was a teenager walking around no that wasn't the case signature. no 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 he was Rabbi Nishlam yeah he was very he was also his family was very famous family he was he was uh, a Baal Yichus and he was a Rav you know so he was, he was a very well known person so in any case, what happened was is Rabbeinu Shleima put the Mar Nevuchim in Cherem. He didn't just put the Mar Nevuchim in Cherem, he put the Sefer Hamada, which is the first Sefer of the Yad HaZaka into Cherem, which also has a lot about, uh, you know, uh, how to prove Hashem's existence from, from the natural world, and some, a lot of uh, Hashkafa concepts which are based on philosophy. So he put that into Cherem as well, and he also put anybody who learns it into Cherem. Okay, so this is a double Cherem, both the Sefer and whoever learns it was put into Cherem. Obviously, the other side opposed with a counter right? So they put him to cherem for putting the ram into cherem, and that's how it went 
about that. And he was going around. So all the, the northern Rabbanim in France supported this. They signed on this letter and they, they supported the Khairim. And then the, 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 the Antis were the southern France and then the rest of the world as well. And as the nature of Mokhaikis goes, as is now, as was then, Everybody got involved, <laughs> you know. Once the so then the, the shoemaker held one way, and the, the tailor held another way, and everybody was fighting about it. It, it really was ripping ripping Europe apart at the time. Um, now, what happened next became is a very very uh, it's a historical debate. Well, it's clear what happened next. It's why it happened is the historical debate. What happened next was that the Rambam Svarim were then examined by the Dominican monks, who, surprise, surprise, um, declared them heretical, and then they staged a burning of all the Rambam Svarim. And that took place, uh, not clear where it took place, and this actually has a lot of relevance, but it either took place in Montpellier, where Roshan Menahar lived, or it took place in Paris, uh, near the church, of, famous church over there, the, uh, not Notre Dame, but one of the other ones, cathedral something of Paris. Um, there's a big square there. So it either took place in Paris and Montpellier and likely in both. Probably took place in both. And this took it in 1233. It was a public burning of the Ramam. Huge Chil Hashem. Now the, the historical debate, some say that Rabbeinu Shlom and Minahar or Rabbeinu Yaina maybe or one or the other actually submitted the Ramam Swarm to the Dominican monks for review and instigated them to, to carry out this public burning. At least, whether that happened or not, the people who supported the Rambam said it happened. <laughs> and they said that that's what happened. So they, that was made a tremendous amount of anger, obviously, against such a Yushchel Hashem, you know, burning all the Rambam swarm. That made a tremendous anger against the supporters of, of Rav Shalom Minahar and Rabbi Yaina. There was uh, all of his farm that they burned, not just the So I, I think, yes, all. They burn, they burn all swarm, you know, uh, they, they do this, they do it, they do it right, right? Mm-hmm. So they did it, and, um, and this, this, this had tremendous repercussions because it didn't stop there, obviously. Once that happened, then not, not 10 years later, in 1242, it was a very famous burning of all the Talmud, right? So there was, again, they, were, they, they started investigating all the Talmud and whatever, there were various different instigators that made it happen, and then, in, again, as, assuming that the Rambam was burnt in Paris in the exact same spot, 24 wagon loads of Gemaras, old copies of Talmud, which is estimated to be something like 10,000 copies, which was, they were all handwritten, so you know what that means. It was like a whole generation worth of work of Gemaras, of Shas, were burnt over there in the same place, which is taken by many, obviously, as a sign of divine retribution against the Chil Hashem caused by those who oppose the Rambam. Now, as a result of this, this, this is this, the, all this created uh, many people to back, many backed off, obviously, once they saw where the, how far this had gone. They backed off, and Rabinian wasn't an, an exception. Another thing that happened at this time also was that some of the people who were radical about this, they desecrated the Rambam's kever in Tveria. They, I don't know what they did exactly, but they desecrated it. It also made a tremendous anger amongst everybody, not just uh, even people who opposed the Rambam. This is like going too far. And the anger, again, was, was also largely directed at Rabbi Yaina, so much so that they, they started to slander his family 
uh, it seems like they found something in Hezichus 130 years earlier that they were slandering, that the Ramban, who wrote many letters on this topic, wrote a whole letter just dedicated to opposing and, and calling out against those who made that slander. It was his family, too. He was uh, first cousin of Rabbeinu Rabbeinu was the son of his uncle, uh, who had met his brothers, and, and also they were Mechutanim. His daughter married his son, Rabban, Rabban's son married Rabbeinu his daughter. So they were Mechutanim, so it was his own family that was being slandered. But regardless, so he, he called out against that. But that was just the, how far it went, that they, you know, the opponents were, were making a big deal. Now Rabbeinu, again, according to his Talmud, at that point went into the shul in, in Montpelier and publicly announced that he, he was wrong. And he made he did an avera opposing the Ramam, and he's going to made a he made a shavua of some sort of Kabbalah that he was going to go to Eretz Yisrael and spread himself out in mishtateh on the kever of the Rambam and ask him mechila for seven days straight in the presence of of uh, of ten men. And he started to travel towards towards Eretz Yisrael, but he was delayed. He was lemaisa of one of the gedel hadar, right? So wherever he went, he people clamored, you know, to him, and they had talmidim. So he was first in, um, where did he go first? He first was detained in Barcelona and then in Toledo. Uh, and in, there, in those places, he, he did raise some tremendous Talmidim. The Rajba was one of his Talmidim, the Ritva was one of his Talmidim, and he taught them during this time period. The, the way, again, the, the legend has it is that he wrote Shari Tshuva as a personal repentance for his involvement against the Rambam. That's why he wrote Shari Tshuva. Again, it's not clear that, you know, this, that's what they say. And um, they say also that from that point on, he would constantly quote the Rambam in all of his drushes with great reverence to try to atone. Lamaisi never made it to Eretz Yisrael. He was nifter suddenly in, in, one, in uh, Toledo in his last place so at a young age in 1263. And again, you know, as is the nature of Machlekes, some people said it was an Einish, because he didn't carry out his promise, he didn't continue traveling to Israel, and you know, as as these things go, that's the thing. Now the Ramban wrote numerous letters. They're printed in Kisve Haramban, called Kisve Haramban, it's two volumes. We have it here in the show. Uh, a bunch of beautiful letters. They're very hard to read because very poetic. It was like a thing in those days. Like all letters were written in poetry. <laughs> so it's a pain in the neck to read. But in any case, the the it's very interesting. The first letter, he um, he implores both sides not to take action. Means don't make haramim, don't 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 make kalkairism public statements. But come to Bezdin, and we'll settle it in a Bezdin. And he acknowledges that uh, the Chachme Balitaisvis of France, he said, really, you know, they're much greater than everybody else. He says, we learn from them, they're our Rebbeim, but nevertheless, he says, no matter how great you are, you have to come to a Bezin, you have a fight, you have to come to a Bezin. So he, he implores them to come to a Bezin, which uh, doesn't work. The Balitaisvis are in the cell? Both. They're both, but he, you know, he, he wanted them to come to Bezin sound like there. In other words, in, but which in the Balitoses were mostly in defense of the Rambam? But it sounds like half and half. half I don't know the numbers exactly, but uh, it, se- it seems like to me that the, the greater number eventually was siding with the Rambam, but uh, it was a large machlekes regardless, and it did, it did go all over the place. It's fascinating that the Balitoses we regard as a single unit in Shas. Yeah. Hundreds of years, yeah. Hundreds, hundreds of years, north yeah. and south, so different contexts. Totally, different, different totally. philosophical perspectives, different yeah. political stances. Very so much so. I mean, you know, I mean, they... just call them Tosvos. Right. <laughs> Rabbi Tosvos. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, even in, in Tosvos, largely, we have like three or four Balotosvos that are constantly being quoted, right? There's Rabbi Natam, there's the Ri, there's the Rivam. 
and so on, and, and they're all within two generations of each other. But Baal Tyson continued for a long time. So there's many of the unnamed Tysosin that were written throughout the generations, we're not sure exactly when. Different compendiums were created which were then redacted and combined and, and, and you know, by uh, after different Mesechtas were worked on by different Baal Tysosin. So we have a, like a large jumble of Messiah and Tysos, so to speak, which were eventually combined and redacted and, 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 and perfected. Not every Mesechta is so perfect, and Nazir it's not very unclear. Was written differently than other Masechtas, and you know, so on and so forth. So the the but but what why it's considered one big yeshiva is because mostly it was the teachings of Rabbeinu Tam, the Ri, and the Rivam, which were then basically expanded upon, or their mahalach was continued. That's like what happened. Anyway, so yes, but they they didn't necessarily all think the same way. So it continued. But those three were before the Smachlokas. Yeah, they 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 predated. They were. In the early, um, the, 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 all those Balatesis from before the Rambam. Rashi was Nifter in all the beginning of the 11s, and they lived to like the middle of the 11s, and the Rambam was the end of the 11s, so they, they predated him. Um, so uh, then the, the, the sex, so the first letter was he tried to stop everybody from making a chay, from, he wanted everybody to come to Bezdin. The, the second letter, he says, he is, it's a long letter, and he implores, first of all, he says, recognize how great the Rambam was and how his, li- his, his works are, are, la, la, are like everybody he benefits from them. And what he wants is that he wants to scale it down. He says, you know, we can argue about it, we can debate it, and we can figure out, he wants to make even a curriculum, like which philosophy could be learned and which shouldn't be learned, and what age you can learn it. But take away all the haramim and all the fire and the ash. It doesn't. It's not appropriate. It's a, for, for who we're talking about. Again, it didn't work. <laughs> and not, uh, not based on the content, but just based on the Rambam. Yeah, based on the guy, the great. No, the Rambam is just saying it's not appropriate to make this kind of fire. He also was able to see where this was going, which was eventually it became such a huge chal Hashem, which led to the, leading, the burning of the Rambam and burning of the Gemara. He, he just was able to see where this would lead, but it did not help. And uh, as a result, that was uh, that. That's where that's where, that's what continued, and that was the ultimate end of the of that fight. Let's talk a little bit about um, what was the what's the the greater issue with philosophy in general. So philosophy is is a lot of different aspects to it. But one of the first aspects that that they the, the opponents took issue was is that philosophy believes that there is a point in proving the fundamentals of Yiddishkeit outside of the Torah. Meaning, there's a point to proving the fundamentals of Yiddishkeit through logic and debate and discussion. And, and there's a philosophical form of debate. You know, they have their own particular way. Of, but it's essentially, it's logic. Um, and science, utilizing natural world to prove these things. And to do it totally devoid of the Torah. In other words, don't start the debate based that this is a true, this is a fact. You know, the Torah says, Kaddish Baruch Hu doesn't have a goof. That uh, Baruch has Ashgacha, Pratis, all these sides, Mamas, the Yud Gimel Ikram, Tchias Hamesim, and so on and so forth. Start with a fresh, a clean slate, and figure it out through through your own intellect. Is it true or is it not true? And you know, there, there, this is part. There, there's two uh, here too. There's two parts to this. A number of Rishayim, which we'll get to in a moment, held that it's wrong. You don't do that. You, you don't venture outside of the tariff to prove anything, right? It's uh, the, all, all proofs that we have or that we do 
are just are, are, are from what the Torah tells us, and on the contrary, Amuna is better when it's not supported by logic. So they, they disagreed with, in, in principle with the concept of, of trying to prove Hashem's existence just from logic. That's, that's wrong. We believe it. It's faith. It's not logic. Uh, in addition, this was, again, where it became a little more personal with the Rambam. They felt that the Rambam held this was more important than Tyre. Because the Rambam wrote a line like that. In Marina Vucham, he writes, Lamisha writes Hanushi, someone who wants to achieve human perfection. Um, the only way he could do it is he has to first learn this logical thought. Then he has to learn through all the different disciplines, you know, of, of wisdom, chafma. Then he has to learn the sciences. And then afterwards he can learn Torah. And they said, this is Haris Hadas. This is like a destruction of Yiddishkeit. That's just not the way it goes. It's not the way around. You learn Torah. When you finish Torah, you learn the Shas, Babli, Shalmi, everything. Then you can maybe start thinking about philosophy. So um, the, much, much later, the Marama Lasker, he lived in the 1500s, he wrote a tshuva and he said, it's not what the Rama meant. The Rama meant from a philosophical perspective. He said, if you want, to, you want to gain perfection in philosophy, this is the way it has to go. You don't start with any pre-existing notion. You start from, from, from nothing and you figure it out with logic. But he doesn't mean that that's the way a person should approach learning. Of course, if you start learning with learning Torah. And uh, the... The, the, I think the, was it the, the, the Rivash, I believe. Um, let me see. I think it was Rivash. Rivash writes that the Rambam um, didn't touch any philosophy before he had learned through Sifri, Sifra, Halacha, Agada, Talmud Bavli, Talmud Yerushalmi, as he says, you see from Yad HaChazaka, that he had mastered all of that before he even, and it was before he started with any philosophy. So he says that Ramam himself, and it's funny because many of the issues they took up against the Ramam based on Meir Nebuchim, so his defenders defended the Rambam based on everything else he wrote. <laughs> they said, look at the Yadachazaka, you see he doesn't hold like that. Look at the letters he wrote to Garis Teman and the, how he describes Atchias HaMesim over there. You see that's not the way he held, you see that's not the way, the, way he, the way he lived. So a lot of it was like that, but, but again, based on what the way Marna Vuchum was written, it was a book of philosophy. It made philosophy a little bit too... It, it gave too much credence to philosophy, which did, did uh, not go over well. For people, that Tyra was the only thing that existed. So, the one one major issue that they had with philosophy in general is that they felt it's wrong. It's not the right. It's not the right approach to Tyra. Tyra needs to be something that you you. It's faith it has to be. Uh, yeah, Amuna has to be through faith. Where the Makuros is it or that which for, for for many of the things that the Rambam was trying to discern philosophically, it's not like they have psukim in the Chumash that, that talk about <laughs> So no, they have Gemaras. They do have Gemaras and the psukim in in Chazal in uh, in Tanakh. There are psukim in Tanakh that do support it. Um, and uh, this it, it's also part of what's just interesting. In other words, the in Lamashal, the Chavos Alvavos has a Shara Bechina. It's one of the first arm where he. Also proves the fundamentals of Yiddishkeit through proof, through logic, through observing. And he writes in his introduction to Shara Bechina that he writes that it's an ob- obligation to do that. He says, 
it's learned out from a pasuk. Look up to Shemayim and see who created them. Notice he's learning. It's an obligation to look at the stars and deduce HaKadosh Baruch Hu's existence from them. Uh, I'll see Shemayim, I'll see what you created, uh, the, 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 the earth that you, you established. And um, he writes more than that, he writes that if someone has the ability to understand the sciences, he has the ability to... Uh, to figure out astronomy, to know when the moon is going to, you know, all these calculations that we need for Kiddush Chaj. Someone's able to do that and doesn't do that, he quotes a different Pasuk, it's an Avera. They're busy playing music and drinking wine, and they don't try to look at what Hashem created, and they don't look at what Hashem, Hashem made. Uh, so he learns an Avera, if you don't do that. And lightly, lastly, he quotes a Chazal, that says that if the Torah wasn't given, we would learn Sneas from a cat, and we would learn the Isser of Arayas from uh, the dove, and Darachares from a rooster, and uh, Gneva from an ant. So he says it demonstrates that you, we have an obligation to utilize the natural world to learn not just the existence of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but also Midis, Tavis. So he says it's an obligation, it's a Chiyuv, and if you don't do it, it's an Avera. And that's why he writes Shara B'china, which was likewise likely the approach of the Rambam as well, that Paket, you know, this, it, it's, it's from the obligations of Amuna to utilize logic so that you can prove it within yourself, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's existence, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Hashgacha, Tchiyas HaMesim, Shechar Va'inish, Gehenim, and Ganeiden, and so on and so forth. They felt that it was an obligation to do that, whereas the other Rishayim who opposed held, um, held very much the opposite. The Rodak writes on a Pasuk in Tehillim, he writes at the Pasuk, it says in the Torah, So he says, means you have to fear HaKadosh Baruch Hu, means you have to keep Torah mitzvahs. So you have to learn Torah, and you have to do mitzvahs, and that is how a person gets to step one. And then is this next step. Then you have to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu by using your seichel and using your mind to prove his existence and to understand everything about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's, that's real service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So again, it's taking this approach that, it's, that that is actually the real Amuna is when a person has the ability to do that, to, to apply himself and to try to understand and divine HaKadosh Baruch Hu's, uh, his, his, uh, his existence. The Kuzari disagrees. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. Did, did you, have you ever heard of the, the Rambam later in his life when he became aware of Kabbalah because he didn't have Kabbalah earlier, that he said, if I had known about this earlier, I would have spent more time on that? There's a lot of, that's, that's legend. There's no, uh, he definitely never wrote anything like that. So do things are legend? You certainly, certainly there's, there's if you a don't have Kabbalah, it makes sense to that you would use the resources that you do have. Correct. Philosophy. Correct. And though the people who opposed the Rambam uh, later, when Kabbalah became more widespread, they write that... Um, you know, Kabbalah kind of makes it obsolete to what he's doing, and, and, and the Kabbalah explains a lot of the concepts that he goes on to explain, because he approaches, there's another issue we're going to get to, he explodes Carbonus with a philosoph- philosophical approach, uh, yeah, a lot of the uh, things in the Torah he approaches with a philosophical approach, and Zaire obviously has a very different approach to all these things. So, yeah, that's part of it, but I've, I saw one long um, uh, a long uh, historical discourse on that there's no reason to assume that the Rama did not know about the Zara. Like, uh, they're, they're, the way it got disseminated and the, the time period, time frame where it was known, he, would, he should have known about it already. 
at that time. So there's there is some historical discussion and debate in, about this. He was in Spain. What? He, he was in Spain just a couple hundred years after it started becoming prominent. Yeah. So I don't know the dates exactly, right. but I could. I, I know that that's there's a, there's there's a question about it. Anyway, so the the Kuzari was one of the people who opposed philosophy, and he says it's wrong. You should only it should be a munapshuta. Uh, there's another sefer called El Mayed, written by Rishon, whose name is Rishmol ben Meshulam, that he says, Tzadik ben means the opposite of this. Tzadik ben is you live in Amuna, you live with faith, and you don't look for other things. And there's a, uh, there's a sefer called uh, Chassid Yaivitz, so it's from someone who lived through the Spanish Inquisition, so basically the borderline between the Rishonim and the Chreinim. Uh, and he goes on and on and on, and he writes how, how philosophy destroyed a lot of people and made them lose their faith. He says the only people who managed to live through the the, the tests of the Spanish Inquisition and those in Sienes were only the people that had such powerful amunapshuta, um, and it wasn't based on their logic. It wasn't based on their 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 proving it to themselves. He says that that not that can't stand the test of a of the sword. That can't stand the test of an auto de fe. You know, you need a you need to have the amunapshuta that you have a messiah from. Otherwise, it's impossible. This is what he writes. So that was part of his detraction again of philosophy. But, uh, you know, again, that's all thinking that your primary amuna comes from that. But the, the supporters of the Ramam say, no, the Ramam himself never intended it that way. The Ramam intended that, of course, a person's primary amuna comes from the Tyra and from Amasaira. And, uh, and he wrote the whole Maranavucham only to counter <laughs> the arguments of the, the heretics and the Apikarsim and the Minim who were trying to disprove the Tyra through philosophy, and they were trying to disprove the, 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 the HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like Aristotle came out that, you know, God doesn't exist, so he was disproving that through philosophy. So the point of the Ramam was not to, to uh, uproot or to put aside the Torah in the place of philosophy, it was just an, an additional added proof or added uh, chizuk to a person's amunim. So this was a large, a lot of what went back and forth. Later on, much later, the Ramah and the Mashal is also a fascinating thing. What happened was, was that the Ramah was writing a tshuva, about, um, he was writing a tshuva about a trephus, a halacha and hilchas trephus, right? So the, about the kashrus of an animal, something that had to do with um, a scientific fact of one of the avarim of an animal, limbs of an animal, um, organs of an animal, and he brought a proof from Aristotle in his letter. Brought a proof from something Aristotle wrote. The Maharshal, who read this tshuva, was furious. And what's interesting is he writes that He's not furious that he learns for the, the Greek philosophy. He says, because the Marshall Cyrus will read Greek philosophy. But he was furious that he included it in a entire discussion. How could you include Aristotle in a entire discussion? His language is, uh, who, uh, so he says, this this Tameh words, you're going to make it like an addition, uh, a perfume for Tyra to bring in the words of Aristotle. This tremendous Avera. I'm not even going to say everything I have to say. Uh, and then so on and so forth. And he writes that, you know, like he, said, he says, I also read it. So he suggests to Ramah, it's very funny, he suggests to Ramah, you should read it in the bathroom. He writes, <laughs> that's what you should be learning Greek philosophy in the basic. He say. Now the Ramah writes a tshuva back, and the Ramah doesn't uh, isn't nispal, you know, he isn't doesn't uh, he isn't blown away by this, and he writes that he says 
this that you are making this huge argument against me he says, you know, hello, this is, didn't start today. He said, this has been a fight for centuries already. I'm not the first one to start it, you're not the first one to start it. He says, this is an old argument between the Chachamim, and I don't even have to answer because this is already discussed. The he quotes that, that the Chachmah Provencia, the Balitosis, were back and forth with the Rajba, is philosophy okay, is it not okay? The Rajba, even, he says, even the Rajba didn't say that it's not, even the Rajba didn't prohibit it only when you're young and you haven't yet learned Gemara Ashi Taisus and the whole Shas. But of course, once you're well versed in everything else, you can learn some philosophy too. And he goes on and on like that. And then he says like this He says that his, the only issue he said that they had with, with the Greek. Um, with, with the Greek philosophy was their philosophies, with their philosophies, their amuna and their deis. But he says there was no problem with their science. There was no problem with their learning their science. And I'm just quoting from their science. What's the problem with that? Now, so I think as it happens, all their science was disproved. Right? I think all, the, all of it was obsolete. And not, nothing was true, nothing of Aristotle that all of his assumptions were. But, case, but at the time, that was, that was considered... That was considered uh, good science, so that's that's number one. And the second thing... Some of it was foundational for uh, for improvements after the fact. Oh, you mean uh, some of it also... The way the... the, Also the method, I think, also was... Some of it was accepted. And the second thing he says... uh, He says, even if you're going to have a problem with Aristotle, he says, you can, if you want. He says, everything I got... He says, I only got it from the Rama. I didn't read Aristotle. I learned Maravuchim. So, or, or other sefres from the Hakdashim, he says you can you can have issue with Aristotle, but you can't have issues if I, I learned the, the Svarim Hakdashim and they quoted it. So, what they quote is, is is there's no problem with that. That's his two answers to the Marshal. It's interesting. Again, the continuation of this issue with philosophy in general. Okay, we don't have time to go into the the, the particular attack against the the Rama himself. But there, this Rama issue got into Yeridei, also got into Shulchan Aruch. The Rama writes in Siman Reish Mavav. He says, You're allowed to lear, learn temporarily other things. As long as they're not heretical, and this is what Chacham call in the Gemara, Til Bapardus, he's strolling through the orchard. But he says it's only after Shemila Kreis Abbasaviyah, and it's only after you've learned uh, Gemara Ashitaisis and you've filled, you've filled your stomach with everything else. Now the guy over there disagrees with him. <laughs> he says, That's not what Pardus means. He says, Pardus means Kabbalah. And it doesn't mean it doesn't mean these kind of chachmas. It doesn't mean philosophy. So the guy, the guy right over there takes issue with this remark. But that's this is the same uh, the same point again, continuing another couple of generations later. It's also hard to know which, what's what's heretical. What's minus? What's yeah, so, well, I guess anything that denies the stuff that Rambam was quoting, could be very heretical. Well, he's coming to disprove it, correct? Right. But, but in order to 